0: Can we go there for a second? I don't even care if this makes the podcast. Okay. But I've always been, there's one area of your life that I've been most curious about, Hmm. and it's that desk. Yeah. In your office. What would you like to know about it? Why? Why is it? Tell me, how does it, what is in there on that? (laughs) It's like
1: a... What's Inside. Discovering what you're made of and making the most of it with professional coach Ken Edwards, helping you understand your gifts, honing your leadership skills, sharpening your natural instinct so you can enjoy a more fulfilling life.
0: Ken, I'm observing that you're in another one of your amazing shirts here today. These button downs are killer.
2: I love a good Oxford cloth. (laughs) Is that the brand? No, this is L.L. Bean actually, but it's just the fabric is Oxford cloth. Is it? Yeah. Let me, can I feel it? Just just be gentle. Okay.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, it is very Nice. Yeah. And it's pressed.
2: It's crisp, clean. This particular shirt is one of those wrinkle-free, but I take it to the laundry. I love a good start shirt.
0: It brings out your good grays. You got your gray beard. This is the winter Ken look. The winter look. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I love that about you. But I said that if you noticed a little tongue in cheek, because Mm -hmm. today we're talking about observing and observation. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. What are you observing about me right now? What would you say? You're
2: looking fit and tan. Fit and tan? Yeah. You kind of got this, uh, you know, it's Florida. You know,
0: (laughs) I'm in my usual shirt and t-shirt, you know, t-shirt and shorts. I mean, so yeah, I know I couldn't bring my wife looked at me and she said shorts. It was like 45 degrees this morning and she's like shorts. Okay. All right. Yeah. I guess that's what we're wearing today. It's
2: warm now though. It's like 63 outside. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad, but yeah, Honestly, I don't like to be hot. I just don't like the feeling of being hot.
2: I'm with you on that. Yeah.
0: I'd much rather be cold and mm-hmm. put on a jacket. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. You're one of the few people I know that we feel similarly.
0: Really? Yeah. Yeah. Other people are the opposite in yeah, your most world.
2: Of, most of my friends are bring summer on. I'm like, oh, no. You know, give me fall, winter, yeah, yeah, things look dormant, but there's all this growth going on, mm-hmm. yeah, and people don't see it, and I'm like, how do you not see that? It's like this whole observational thing we're talking about today. It's like you gotta look a little deeper mm-hmm. than what's on the surface.
0: You do. We're recording this in the fall. This will probably come out sometime in the spring, (laughs) change of seasons. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, it's beautiful. I love fall and spring anyway, for different reasons. Oh yeah. You know, there's just a newness of spring, but there's also just this
2: crispness of the fall that everything gets cleaned. Yeah. It is good to have a season that you are bringing some order to your life. And I think we have a tendency to kind of move in and out of that as human beings. You know, we get some disorder, depending on our design and our proclivity, we may feel a sense of urgency to kind of get it together my desk is a great example of this yes it is because it's a disaster area and usually once or twice a year i'd clean it i clean it off i get it kind of in order to some degree it's never perfect but you know during the rest of the year i just don't want to put any energy toward that it's not life-giving to me and so
0: can we go there for a second i don't even care if this makes the podcast okay but i've always been there's one area of your life that i've been most curious about Hmm. and it's that desk yeah and you're office what would you like to know about it why why is it tell me how does it what is in there on that it's like a, <laughs> it's like a to give the listener a view of this yeah let me try to describe it like i walk in and i see a pile of papers there's no order to it at all it's just mail right it's just mail that's been thrown there or no.
2: there's there is order there is order it's not you know obviously seen right but you know, since it's my desk, there's a chronological order that happens. And so uh, once again, to describe it, if you're looking at my desk to the left, there are these giant stacks of papers that yes. are probably 18 to 24 inches tall, a couple of them. And then I've got a good six to eight inches coding my entire desk yes. of different things, things I've been working on that I lay down, some of it's mail, some of it's files, books that I've been reading. And I just sit down and I, not so much in its current state, but Typically, if there's something I'm looking for, I can reach in there and pull it out Mm -hmm. because I know kind of when. When it was. (laughs) When it was and kind of the general geography on the desk of where I tend to put things. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to go on a deep search recently, so it's kind of gotten out of order. Right. I went three years once without filing. Wow. Which reminds me of my grandfather. He was notorious. He had stacks of paper all over his floor in his office. Yeah. And he had like this little tree. He wasn't really a hoarder, but he- um, Had a trail. (laughs) He did. He had a trail into his office, but not over the whole thing. His was very much like mine. There was a part of it that was super functional. Totally.
0: And together. And that's most of your offices like that.
2: Right. Yeah. But for me at the end of the day, typically when I have, that's when most people kind of order, reorder their desk. Right. That is not my priority. You know, when I was raising my kids, I wanted to get home. Yeah. And it's like. I don't care about that. It doesn't matter. And it didn't slow me down. It hasn't hurt my efficiency. And I can live with it. I just tolerate it. And because I want to get home and I still feel that way. You know, I'm kind of done with that season of raising my children. We're empty nesters. I want to get home and be there for Janet, Um, either get dinner started or join her as she's cooking dinner. And so but it gets to a point and I'm there currently where I'm like, hmm. It's kind of wearing on me yeah. a little bit.
0: What about it wears on you when you can't find stuff and you start to realize, okay, this is more than I can handle.
2: Well, I can't use my desk.
0: You just can't use it.
2: I, I've got one pullout, like a little writing table thing that I generally will use. Mm-hmm. And the other pullout, I've got my computer on and it's just intolerable. It's like, I'm close to the place where if I put any more on my desk, it'll start to slide off. Yeah. (laughs) it's like, all right, this might be a problem.
0: (laughs) Do you think you'll ever, that it's just doesn't matter to you really that kind of, I know there's, you're a very orderly person. You have Mm -hmm. baskets everywhere and I know you like certain things and you have a good sense of the way things need to look. But do you think that, I just wonder why does that desk doesn't bother you and what is behind that? I'm just curious.
2: I think it is a matter of priorities. You yeah. Know, early in my career, I used to use a, do a, a, what they call a therapeutic hour. You had 50 minutes with the client. So 10 till I was done with my client and people would do that. Professionals would do that because then you'd have time to write notes. Yeah. And as I was growing my practice and became you know more sought after, I started, my fees went up and I just felt like I needed to give a full hour. Yeah. And I don't like taking copious notes with mm-hmm. clients. I like to get into their story. I like to listen, like to be super focused. And so sometimes I'll take sketchy notes while I'm working with someone, but not much. Yeah. And so then it meant, you know, at the end of the day, dealing with whatever paperwork I needed to deal with. With. And I'm like, well, I just didn't want to do that. I'm like done. I work hard. Yeah. It's like after you've done eight or 10 hours of counseling, it's like days done. Yeah. You want to get out. And yeah. so I just did.
0: Yeah. Okay. So there's no yeah. real deep thing behind it. It's well, just, there
2: might be that I'm not observing about myself. Yeah, because I think
0: you can go the other way around it and you can be so anal about everything that you miss the more important moments. Like that's probably more the case for me. Sometimes I can't work until my desk is completely in its place and ordered.
2: Right. And I've had colleagues, and part of that is design, but I've had some colleagues that were so kind of focused on that, that I felt like they were inefficient. It looks like efficiency, but it really wasn't that efficient because they're spending all this time kind of creating the sense of order when really minimal order which is what i have like i do have files i've got a filing cabinet yeah but i kind of do that at a minimal level yeah and even my filing cabinet kind of works more chronologically than alphabetically yeah with client files what i need close is just right at the front and that works for me yeah
0: anyway i don't know why we got off on all these different tangents but i'd Just found it to be an interesting topic. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll come back to it. But today we're talking about observation. Yes. And the core question that we are asking ourselves and that we're wanting you to ask yourself is what keeps me from doing it? And there's a lot more questions we want to dive into and there's a lot more things. But do you have any kind of why is this practice so
2: important? Well, it's key to growth because if we're not able to see ourselves and we can't fully see ourselves, you know, that's why we need community. We need feedback from other people because I, I say all the time, you can't see yourself by yourself. Yeah. But we can develop an ability that I call just an observational perspective of self. And it's where you kind of step back from yourself and pay attention to what you're doing and begin to ask yourself some pointed questions to uncover your motives, you know, diagnose an issue that's there. And, and so to me, it's a part of personal growth in and of itself, developmental growth even, because you have to be even a certain age to be able to think this way. But then to be willing to take a look, because just even looking can be confrontive. In and of itself, let alone taking what you learn and confronting yourself. Yeah. So it's kind of maybe a two stage process. One is just having the courage to go, why am I thinking this way? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And then the second one is kind of digging down deeper and kind of challenging yourself to something else.
0: So one of the core questions, the first question that you raised was, you know, that you should ask yourself is what's my motivation?
2: Yes, exactly. Because if you're watching yourself in some kind of behavior, like I've caught myself recently going through this particular season that I'm in, I have a little more time on my hands than I'm used to and I'm not handling it well. I do better if I'm busy and kind of have an agenda and appointments to keep and that kind of thing. And so I've had kind of this luxury of a little more time that um, has been given to me and I'm struggling with it. So I wind up kind of frittering time or getting distracted and and it doesn't feel good because I wind up at the end of the day kind of feeling shame about it. And I just kind of then my typical path, if I feel shame about something, I'm kind of hurting about it. I just want relief. I want to get away. And which then just kind of produces more shame. Right. Which is kind of the shame cycle, actually. Yeah. And so as I've caught myself doing that, I begin to ask the question, what's my motive? What is it? And part of it is, I think it's unnerving for me when I have a lot of time and so I don't feel as productive. And I think my motive is just trying to seek comfort so I can fritter and do things that might appear to be valuable that aren't at all.
0: Right. And But that will sort of satisfy that ego in you. Right. Right.
2: Right. And so I can step back. I've learned to step back and I kind of think of it in a dimensional space. And if I'm in my office, I'll pick up my water bottle and I'll just pretend when I'm talking to clients, I don't do this by myself. <laughs> I've, I've got a, I've got a Ken doll that I use and I'm totally. Teasing. No, you don't. <laughs> no,
0: I'm totally, I'm totally teasing. <laughs> I have a Barbie. What does that say about me? <laughs>
2: Well, I was thinking about, what about Bob? He had all his dolls with his right. family you know? <laughs> and himself. I'm like, that's really creepy. <laughs> but in my mind's eye, I'll just kind of step back and look at myself outside of myself and go, okay, what are you doing? What are you just literally doing? And then what's your motive? Why am I doing that? How does that benefit me? Because even though it may not be particularly healthy, in the moment there's a benefit that we're, seeking. And so to, to go, okay, how does that benefit me? Or a different way to say it is, what do I get out of it?
0: Yeah. What am I getting out of this behavior?
2: What am I getting out of this behavior? That's the first stage of confrontation because you can't really do anything about it until you know what it is, mm-hmm. until you observe it. And it's in AA, they'd say, you know, the, the first step is admitting you have a problem. Yeah. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's kind of waking up to, oh, this is actually an issue. And so you you try to collect as much data as possible. You know, a, a thing that can be very helpful is if you have other people in your life that might see it too, is talk about it. Like I talked to my wife about it because I don't want to hide anything from her. And I was tell her that I'm struggling with, you know, managing time or I'll talk to my friends about it. And so then the question is, what's the impact of that behavior on me? You know, what does it feel like? I like to put it into kind of two categories. And this is something that we need to pursue later on as well. But it's like, does it, give me life or does it bring death? Just, I make it very binary. Yeah. It's either life giving or it's death
0: giving. Yeah. in a couple of episodes, we're going to dive into that a lot more.
2: Yeah. And so if it brings death, that's kind of the ultimate confrontation. It's like, I really don't want that. I'm about life. That's what I'm called to. I want to live life. And so then it's a matter of kind of creating a strategy of what I want to do with that.
0: Right. But first it's about observing what we're really trying to do here. I would guess that there's two different ways of observing. Tell me about the two different ways I think, that, that you would look at something
2: yeah. It's easy to fall into the category of having a judgmental eye. That's what you know. I can initially do if I'm feeling shame about something. There's a criticism like, oh, that's really dumb. Or why are you wasting time? Or fill in the blanks. We all have those phrases, those messages that we give ourselves that are judgmental. It's far better to bring a critical eye. And that's where we need to differentiate the two. Having a critical eye is really a good thing. But for many of us in my childhood, I grew up with a critical eye being on me that was judgmental. So to me, I couldn't even differentiate. Differentiate the two. I couldn't do that till I was much older and realized that, oh, a critical eye is actually really helpful because it's just helping me understand or challenging, you know, what I'm doing. And where a judgmental is passing a judgment, you know, uh, there's some kind of condemnation that's involved. And it's important that as we walk through this, that we're seeking a position of grace or even giving yourself the benefit of the doubt, accepting your humanity would be another way of saying it that is critical to this kind of process. Yeah.
0: And what we're seeking, of course, is life. So is this useful for me? If I'm observing this activity. What's my motivation? What am I getting out of this? What am I hoping for? And asking yourself these questions in a critical way, but not in a judgmental way. Way and allowing yourself the grace to speak it out and process it with absolutely no judgment. And that comes oftentimes in journaling, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, journaling is
0: always a good, a
2: good tool to kind of confront this kind of yeah. thing, particularly if you're starting out. Yeah. Then you can kind of write to yourself about yourself. yeah, And it might be a way to kind of, but sometimes people have a hard time kind of conceptualizing, how do I do this? Yeah.
0: And another thing that you and I were talking about that's really important is there are two parts to this. There's observing yourself and then observing others. That's right. Tell me a little bit more about that.
2: Basically it's the same thing, but you're asking a question of a coworker, a, a friend, a family member, If you are watching a behavior, it's like, once again, what are they getting out of that?
0: Yeah. Do you ask them? Is it healthy sometimes to,
2: you know, in my setting, Mm -hmm. my professional setting, I do
0: frequently. Sure.
2: It uh, depends on what's going on at home. Sometimes I'll do that. If I don't know, um, sometimes it's really obvious. I might ask a Janet, for example, or when the kids were still around the house. And I'd say it several different ways because they're always sensitive to my counselor. Right. Uh Uh-oh, here comes dad. Uh, He's back. And, and so I'd say, you know, how, you know, how's that serving you? What do you get out of that? Not even in a
0: critical, in the, the bad sense, but in the, in a curious way, curious way.
2: Yeah. It, I would want it to be kind of light handed, not heavy handed. I just want to know. And sometimes I just want to know, sometimes I want to help them be curious about their own behavior because I'm, I was trying to teach them how to do this very thing. So I knew it would serve them in the long run. Yeah.
0: No, it, it's hugely helpful. This practice of observation.
2: Yeah. And so when you're with other people, it's a way to be in a state of grace with them, which our world is really missing right now. Yeah. Is there's so much judgment? We just as point of reference, we have come through the 2020 election. Yeah. And so people are so polarized and have these opinions and they're so certain they're right. And I think it's important for us to question whether we're right or not. Like I'm not certain I'm right. I have an opinion. I have a position, but I don't know that I'm right. And I want to be curious with others and invite people into that place of curiosity, which is kind of hard in our current state.
0: Yeah. But you can observe that about yourself first and foremost, and then you can observe that in others. You can even observe it without having to ask them questions, but you can ask yourself questions about them. Right. You know, like what is motivating them? Well, it could either be this or this. And if you're Mm -hmm. not sure, then go ahead and ask them the question right? if you can. But you can certainly decipher and discern what's happening. What could be some possible motivations? Right yeah in other people
2: yeah it's been interesting to watch my youngest grandchild my granddaughter she's uh, about nine months and she has developed this little face it's really cute it's now the opening screen to my phone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. and um, I've seen this picture, I think. This is actually a new one. Oh, okay. It's her scrunchy face. Oh, okay. What is it? It's I'll show it to you. (laughs) I want to see you do it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Kind of looks like you, Ken, when she makes that face.
2: Yeah, actually looks like her father. (laughs) And I I looked at it, and I know the context in which the face was made. It's clearly manipulation. Mm. There's something that she wanted, and she had learned that she could make her mom laugh making this scrunchy face. Yes. And there was something that she wanted and she wasn't getting it and she'd make these scrunchy face and she was rewarded by laughter <laughs> because it's cute and i don't know if she actually got what she wanted or not
0: you could really mess you could really mess with a child you
2: know oh, well people do all the time oh i know yeah. yeah yeah unknowingly well certainly you know you know kids you know learn to be charming and yeah they just that's how i learned smile it smile and yeah 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 i worked with this child early in my career parents were they were much older parents. Yeah. And they had this child. He was seven and they were still cleaning him after he used the bathroom. <laughs> you know, he they hadn't taught him and he would totally manipulate them. Mm-hmm. He had them buffaloed. And so he would scream top of his lungs mm-hmm. and they would just capitulate. So they brought him in to see if I could help. And of course, in that setting, really the parents are your client. Right. Right. And so I was working with the mom and the child, this little boy, and I had, I was setting him up so I could teach him something. So I had all these books in my bookcase. He went over to look at them. I said, you can look at them, but if you handle them roughly, you can't do that anymore. Because I knew that would be too great a temptation for him. And so he started kind of pushing the books and knocking them around. Mom was just horrified. She didn't know what to do. And so I just very gently slid in front of him and then spread my arms out wide and said, I'm sorry, you've lost your privilege of looking at my books. He went over and sat by his mom and he opened his mouth like, I'm going to scream. Mom was like, you could see the terror go across her face. And I'm like, go ahead, scream. I don't care. He just started screaming his head off. I just sat there real calm. And eventually he stopped. You know, he's got to breathe. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I had that on my side and I asked him, are you finished? And he opened his mouth again, like, I'm going to scream more. I said, go ahead. And he started screaming again. And then he took another breath. I said, you know, when you're finished, I would really like to play a game with you, but we can't do that until you're finished. Are you done yet? And he's like, yeah. And we got on the floor. From that point forward, everything I asked him to do, he was very compliant. Yeah. I wasn't a bully or a heavy handed or anything. Right. But he just hadn't been engaged. And so his behavior, and I suspected this just from my initial conversation with the parents, was that they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to parent, really. I don't fault them for that. What I actually do fault them for is that they never came back. They just were so threatened and intimidated by the whole thing. And I have no idea how that turned out. But uh, It was too bad. pretty heartbreaking yeah. to me. Because it's like this child was very bright and had a lot of potential, a lot of possibilities to his life. And uh, which he may have achieved. I don't know. But it's that question of why does he have this behavior? How does it serve him? Yeah. Was the driving question. It was an observational question that helped me to care for him.
0: So, to wrap this up, what are some key points, key action items that our listeners should do uh, now? Takeaways.
2: Yeah. Two things that strike me. If you're already practicing the observation of yourself, I would just ask you to include your community. Like, If you have a a group that you're a part of, or it could be, you know, family member, it needs to be people that you really trust that you can be vulnerable with. And just ask them, if you want to talk about a specific behavior, share the behavior and say, what do you observe? Mm. What do you see in me? And just invite them to observe that with you. Yeah. And give you
0: feedback on that.
2: Yeah. And if you're not in the practice of observation, I want you to ask yourself the question, what's keeping you from doing that? What's in the way? A different way to ask, it's a little more confrontive is what are you afraid of? Yeah. Because it's, one of the greatest tools that can benefit you and help you along the way so
0: pick something in your life that you you know are aware of that comes to mind as you're listening to this and as a practice Begin to, if you don't know how to observe that or what to think of that yet, what's the motivation behind it? It could be other motivations and you need that feedback. Ask someone in your community that you trust. What do you observe? What do you see? What do you think the motivation is behind this action?
2: And a really easy one to do is if you have a conflict with your spouse or someone that you care about and they're giving you feedback and you find yourself getting defensive and wanting to push back against it, just slow down and try to observe yourself yourself. When those kind of actions come out. Yeah. Like I remember early in my marriage pointed out that I had an arrogant look and I'm like, I do not have an arrogant look. And (laughs) we kind of did that, you know, three or four times. Right. And one day I just like, she said that again, I froze my face and I ran into the bathroom to look in the mirror and I'm like, (laughs) smug. Oh, totally. I'm like, there it is. My (laughs) arrogant look was staring back at me and I'm like, she was right. And which I had.
0: That was hard to say, wasn't it? (laughs) Uh,
2: Yes. Particularly at that stage in the game. Now it's like, yeah, I know. Me again. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I can say the same thing. My wife has been recently, I've been making this face. She told me, you know, I'm making a, you're making that face again. Like you're going to, you know, like a dragon is about to explode. I observed, I finally asked what is happening in there? What's my motivation there? And I realized, and it was very humbling that I had been thinking that she was dumb. You know, I just had, again, it's an arrogance that I had towards her and I had to repent of that and I had to tell her, listen, this is is what's happening. And then I took it even further and I started thinking about, okay, in those instances that I think she's dumb or I'm impatient with her and I, I speak and I make the face and I'm negative towards her, what's occurring around me? And it's always Anxiety, stress, I'm not making enough room for things and I'm piling too many things into one hour, you know, or that particular moment is particularly stressful. So I've learned to the solution for me has been and it's worked pretty well so far is to get ahead of it and make sure that I have cut stuff out of my life and pruned those stressful, potential stressful things out and not said yes to too many things. That's the solution. That's helped me to, to really resolve a lot of the anxiety that I feel. And to be honest, yes, the result is I don't look at my wife as much like that, but I also feel a lot better on the inside. That's great. And it's just, you know, it's, it's life giving. Right? It is life giving. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful breakthrough.
2: I saw a t-shirt recently on Instagram that said people say I'm condescending. That means I talk down to people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just in case you didn't know.
2: <laughs> I thought it's a little too close to home, but I I need to own that one. <laughs> I know. I know. That's a great shirt. I love that.
0: Well, Ken, this has been super awesome. This has been super great. Just kind of diving into this observing process. So big takeaways for you is include your community, share the behavior, ask them, what do you observe about me? And then the second is if you're not in the practice of, of being observant of yourself, ask yourself, what's keeping you from observing. What are you afraid of is even more of a a bigger question, maybe penetrating question for you. What's keeping you from observing? What is behind that? if you can get there. That's right. Yeah. Good. Good stuff, Ken. Well, on the next episode, we're going to dive into learning to listen. I think one of your best traits, we're really hitting some core things now that I think you have a particular gift in, in drawing out of people and modeling for people. Yeah. And you don't do it in an arrogant way and you don't make that face. Well, I'm glad (laughs) I've been working on it for 38 years. (laughs) Let me know when you've mastered it. All right, that's it for us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.
1: For show notes and relevant resources mentioned in today's episode, and if you'd like to reach out to Ken to see if coaching is the right next step for you, visit ProvidentLeadership.com. That's ProvidentLeadership.com. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting platform.